So if I know I don't always introduce myself because I feel like I know everyone, but um, for anyone new here today or you're not familiar, my name is Justin, and I do normally work in the, in the I'm in the back with the children, working in the children's ministry. So that's my role here normally. And so in case you, you don't know that, uh, I'm not the usual pastor, right? More of a children's pastor, shepherd, uh, so to speak. So, um, but anyway, so I want to ask you today, before we start here into the, into the Word, uh, what moves you? And what I mean by that is what motivates you to do the things you do? So we have, as humans, this unique capacity for free will. We have choices in everything that we do. Uh, so you have a choice in how you move or the activities you choose or what you do, what actions to take, and that decision process is part of what it means to be people. God gave us that unique ability to choose our free will. So what moves you? Maybe you're like the children that I teach. I normally teach uh, during the day. I teach at an elementary school. I teach math. And I have to tell you that some of these students did not want to come in with me to our math groups at the beginning of the year. You know, I don't want to go with Mr. Montoya. And I, what? So I decided that I was going to try to motivate them with some external rewards. You know what I mean by that, right? It's like stickers. I can't do candy, but uh, unfortunately, that's a good one, right? It's external rewards, like, like stickers. And if they get enough stickers, they can pick a prize. And that really worked for some of them. Another external reward with children that I find works really well is eat all your dinner and then you will get dessert, cookies. Um, maybe as an adult, an external reward for you is money, right? We go to work for an external reward for money. We don't do it for our own, you know, just we, we enjoy it. I hope you enjoy your job, but a lot of times it's the basic need for money to pay the bills. So maybe it's external rewards. That's what really moves you, what motivates you. Now, if you have children like I do, you know that one of the things that motivates us sometimes is just the desire to make our kids laugh, to be, to be silly. My, one of my favorite things for my daughter, Valencia, to say is, Dad, because, you know, so you're motivated by this desire with children to, you know, make them laugh, be goofy, things like that. Uh, so that really, that motivates me sometimes, causes me to do goofy things. When you have children, you do some of the silliest things that if someone watched you without children, they'd think you were crazy. <laughs> so that's motivating to me. Maybe, maybe it's force. Maybe you're, you're, you do things, you move because of, because of force. Some kind of aversive in your life that you, you don't like, it's uncomfortable, so it affects what you do, it changes what you do. For example, uh, babies crying. Right? Doesn't that force us to move, to act, to do something, to intervene? Because after all that child's crying, they're making things difficult for us so that we do something. Yeah, we want to stop that crying. What, what do they need? Are they hungry? Are they, do they need to be changed? So that can be motivating. Maybe it's just habit. You just do things or I do things just because it's the way we've always done it. That moves me. 
a little closer to home and closer to our message, maybe what moves you is a concern for others. Maybe you're genuinely uh, concerned for others and that causes you to intervene, to, to change your path and intervene and do something for somebody else. What breaks you out of your comfort zone? We all have a level of comfort and, and it causes us to hold back from giving or doing things. But what is it that tips the scale for you? For me, it's whenever I see, I work with children, so when I see a child, someone naive, being taken advantage of, even if it's a stranger, right? Someone, uh, we, we take the kids to the YMCA in the play area, and you know, there are times you see some injustice, you know, some, some, some a bully, you know, that it causes you to step out of your comfort zone. It can, you know, inf- infuriate you and give you this righteous anger, I think, to jump in and get involved. Uh, one of my favorite shows is on, uh, well, Dateline, the segment, What Would You Do? You guys familiar with that? Have you seen that? <laughs> what Would You Do? And so basically what they do is they set up a scenario in a restaurant and with complete strangers, and everybody's in on it. There's actors, right? And they, they show a couple sitting who's not involved. They're just, you know, they're unaware of it. They have them sitting at a table, and then they show the situation like a, like a teen girl or something, and they put her in a situation where someone's trying to, you know, coax her into, you know, she's a runaway teen. They're trying to coax her into going with them in the car. And they set up this situation to see what would you do in this situation. What would cause you to jump in and get involved? And what's interesting is a lot of these strangers, they do. They jump in. They, they intervene because it's, they see something wrong. I'm, I'm going to, I have enough concern for others that I'm going to intervene. I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm going to jump out of my comfort zone and, and, and try to do something. And that that's can be motivating, right? And I, I hope in that situation I would do the same thing. So you know the right thing to do, and, and you, so you step up and you do it. And so these different things that motivate us, what, what moves us, and what I find, uh, what I want to do today is, is look at what motivated the heart of God, and more specifically, what motivated Jesus and motivates Jesus today. Uh, Jesus, as the div- divine reflection of the Father, when he walked the earth, what, what motivated him to do the things he did? I think definitely we can say he was motivated by love, right? And what's the picture? The ultimate picture of his love is what? The, the, his death on the cross, the crucifixion. And, and we know that, and that's, that's kind of a big, that's a big thing. Um, he was also motivated by his desire to please the Father. He said, everything I see my Father doing, those are the things I do. The works I see my Father doing, that I do. So this desire to be about his Father's business, that motivated him. So this motivation or desire for righteousness, okay? He's, he's the Messiah. To prove that he's the Messiah, that motivated him, right? And these motivations to me make sense. That makes sense because after all, Jesus, he's God, he's love, he's, he's righteous. You know, that makes sense to me. But something that I read recently that really struck me and stood out to me is that Jesus was motivated by compassion, And for some reason, this stands out because it demonstrates how Christ was in touch with human need. You know, the other motivations that that's, you know, it's the divinity of Christ. You know, he's he's righteous. He's doing the things that he sees his father doing. But yet we, we learn that he was motivated 
or prompted by compassion for us and for people. And more specifically today, we'll talk about the multitudes. So I want to look at a passage that I find encouraging and challenging. And that's my goal today is I want to, I want to be encouraging to you today and point out the compassion of Christ for you and for the world and showing that Jesus understands our human condition. He understands what we're going through. And also challenging because the passage that I'm going to talk about, it also puts us on the hook a little bit as Jesus' disciples to demonstrate this capacity for others, this, this compassion. And that doesn't come easily for me, and I'm sure it doesn't for you. And so I think if we understand the heart of God, it can help us to be motivated to have compassion for others. So let's read. Alex is already turning. He already knows what Pat knows. <laughs> He's already there. No. All right, so Matthew chapter 9, verse All right, so Matthew 9, 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here we see this emotion that Jesus experienced, and I believe continues to experience today because he's alive, right? So this is ongoing. We see his compassion. And for some reason, compassion just strikes me as something that's real and down to earth. It's a form of love that's tangible. It's in the trenches. This compassion recognizes the helplessness of humanity. It recognizes a need, and we see that here. <coughs> to have compassion for somebody, you have to be close enough to that person to see through all the false pretenses, all the masks, all the barriers that they might put up. You have to be close enough to feel for them, to understand their situation, to empathize, to identify with them. And so I see this in Jesus. And so for Jesus to show this kind of compassion shows me that he's near enough to humanity, near enough to me, to you, to identify with all of the challenges that are associated with living in this fallen world that we go through daily, the struggles. And to highlight that, I'd like to go to Hebrews. You can leave your thumb or finger in there. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 
this passage talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that we have a compassionate high priest. Now, if you, know, if you remember, the high priest was the one to intercede for the Israelites to go into the Holy of Holies and to um, basically as a mediator between God and the, and the people. And so a high priest has to be represent, a representation of the people to God and, to, and God to the people. And that's essentially what, what Jesus is. So let's, let's take a look. And what I want you to listen to, there's a lot in here, but I want you to listen specifically for how the high priest, how Jesus can identify with us. And that's, in a sense, the root of, this, of his compassion for us. So chapter 4, verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. And so we see here Jesus can connect because he experienced humanity as, as we experience humanity. And sometimes I forget that Jesus... It was human. In fact, he was 100% human, born you know, as a baby, like, like we all have experienced. And he experienced the full range of emotions that we experience, although he was, was without sin. And this is comforting to me when I remember that you know, Jesus sweat. He was a carpenter, so he, he sweat. He worked hard. He cried. Maybe he, in all his work as a carpenter, maybe he got blisters right on his hands. Okay, so he experienced that pain of just the everyday annoying things. He got dusty, right? The roads back then were uh, not uh, like they are today. They didn't have sidewalks like we do today. So he got dusty, dirty. He, he loved people, and within that love, he smiled. He laughed. He hugged others. He prayed for his friends. He wept. He even grieved for lost friends. You remember John the Baptist who was beheaded. Okay, he experienced that sadness. He frowned, I'm sure, more so at the Pharisees and religious leaders, right? Didn't like what they were up to. He got angry. Within that anger, he didn't sin, but he did flip some tables, and uh, he had a, a righteous anger towards what people were doing in the temple, taking advantage of people. So that stirred him up. And I wonder, it's kind of a weird thought, but I wonder if he chose to be born in our modern age, would he have a Facebook? Would he, would he participate in social media? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I don't particularly have, I don't have a Facebook, but my wife does, so I kind of, I cheat. I, I get all the benefits of Facebook, but without the work. I don't sit on, you know, so I, she tells me about what people are doing and what's going on in the world, but would he have a, had a Facebook? Maybe, would he have had a cell phone? Would he have sent texts and emojis to his friends? I don't know. But he, he did have that interaction with, with humans in a way that was, was very down-to-earth, very real. He connected with people. 
And so I'd, I'd like to think, you know, maybe, maybe you would. Now we have to remember in all this participation within humanity that within this full range of motions, he did not sin, right? As it says in Hebrews, he was without sin. He, he was divine and perfect, 100% human, 100% God. I don't really understand that. It's hard to unite the two, but, but that is what Jesus, what he represents. And so we see Jesus, yet, you know, in this understanding of us, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. There's something about the human condition that kind of broke him, broke his heart for people, for what they were going through, for you and for me as well. And I just want to read that again. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus spent a lot of time with a great many people. And if you look before this in Matthew, you know, he was day in and day out, just ministering to people, around people, rubbing shoulders with people, healing people, in close contact with humanity, day in and day out. And what strikes me is that he didn't lose his patience. He didn't freak out like I do sometimes. He didn't come down on them with harsh judgment. In fact, the most judgmental, uh, the judgment he cast was on the religious leaders, those who did not show mercy, those who made it more difficult for people to enter the kingdom those who were puffed up in their pride and, and not, not the everyday people. He, he didn't come down on them as, as much. Uh, he, did ask, he did tell them to repent because I think he, know, he obviously knows the outcome when we submit to God. It's much better for us. But in all this close contact, he was moved with compassion. It wasn't something he had to conjure up. It was just the heart, a natural outflow of his heart for God. He spent a lot of time in prayer and he spent a lot of time with people. And I think those two things, spending that time in prayer alone with God, gave him the heart to um, be able to reflect that love for others. Now, when I see the multitudes, and at my own house, there are multitudes of five children, right? Uh, so when you walk around, you know, you're seeing multitudes stepping over the multitudes. The multitudes make a lot of mess. And, and, when I see the multitudes, sometimes I'm, I'm moved with other things like annoyance, you know, clean, multitudes, clean up your toys, you know, uh, multitudes, time for bed. And it's just, I'm impatient and I can be impatient. Oh, not right now, I'm, I'm busy. Or judgment, right? We can pass judgment on the multitudes. If they only did things the way I do them, then they would have a much easier time of it. And we can pass those judgments. I was recently, you know, as you know, I went to visit my mom, so I was in the airport, and, you know, when I, there's just so many people you see hustling and bustling, and, and it's very easy to get irritated. You're crammed in a plane, you know, beside two complete strangers, and it's, it's very hard to have that compassion. It's not something that comes naturally, and the one thing about multitudes that strikes me is the smells of multitudes of people, right? There's a lot of, people smell, you know, they have these smells, and they're perfumes, they're B.O. there. Just, and just think, that's what Jesus was around day in and day out. He, of all people, could have been very annoyed, um, but yet he has this compassion. So I'm thankful, and, I, and I'm learning. I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus isn't like I can be sometimes, that when he sees brokenness, it stirs up compassion rather than judgment. So I'm thankful he's not like I can be. 
I'm very thankful for that. And, I, and I'm learning. I'm trying to get this, this, this heart. You know, and that's, I think, our, our desire, our goal. We want to have the same heart for people. So you remember the Pharisees questioned Jesus on a lot of things. One of the things that the Pharisees questioned Jesus about was why he ate with whom? Why he, why he ate with the, the sinners, the Gentiles, the tax collectors, right? They questioned him. Why, why, why are you eating with these wicked people? And you remember what Jesus said, right? Matthew 9, 12, he said, when he heard that, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's pretty heavy. And you know what? I'm glad that Jesus has mercy and compassion because I can identify with these tax collectors and sinners. And I think if thinking about some of you having heard your testimonies, I think you could identify with that as well. I'm included as one of his disciples because of his compassion. And I think it's e- I find it easy to forget as time goes on. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I do the Christian things, and I speak Christianese, and I go to church on Sunday, and I you know, do the Christian stuff. After a while, I can forget what it was like before Christ. It becomes far removed from me. And I think you might be able to identify. But when I think about my life before Christ... I can identify with these multitudes. They were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And wasn't that our experience? What, think about what brought you to Christ. I know for me, it was, I was at sort of the end of my uh, rope, at, at the end of my ability to rescue myself from my situation. I definitely felt weary and heavy laden. The world just didn't make sense to me. And I remember as a high school student, uh, you know, you're thinking about your future and what career you're going to choose and what path you're going to take. And it, it just, nothing made sense. It was just, I felt very burdened with the world. You just beat up, unprotected, kind of like these people, sheep without a shepherd. And that's, in fact, what brought me to him. Someone expressed that love of Christ to me, and that was, that's what drew me to God. And then experiencing the person of Jesus personally you know, changed, totally changed my outlook. That God could love me despite my condition. Despite what I was doing, God could love me anyway. And that really caused me to submit my life to Him. And as a Christian, as time went on, you know, it wasn't like from then on everything was perfect. And so at times in my life when I felt this way, weary and scattered, having no shepherd, there have been times when I wasn't, as a Christian, going to church. And you feel lost and out there alone. But God's love always has brought me back in that compassion, no matter what. And so I can identify with this, and I hope that's what we see when we we look at this. Not just his compassion for everybody else, but his compassion for you and for me. That you can identify with these multitudes. Now let's look more closely, though, at what prompted Jesus' compassion. I think we, I was a little surprised when I dug a little deeper. What was it about these people's situation that caused him to have compassion? 
What moved the heart of Jesus? And we read there, it says that they were weary and scattered. Weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. So this kind of struck me because there are two types of need in these people's lives. There was the immediate need of healing, right? He's going around healing, casting out demons. There was that immediate need of healing, of hunger, and health. That was important to him. And he healed people, and that kind of shows that his love for people involved their immediate physical needs. But I also see in here a concern that he had for their long-term needs. They, long-term, they needed a good shepherd, someone to take care of them not just today, but throughout their lives, throughout their experience here on earth. And this stands out to me because what, what would we call this today in our maybe church language? They needed... A pastor, yeah, someone to, so that spiritual need, that maybe discipleship to be considered among the, the church body, all right, we, we might call it discipleship. And so I, I love how, you know, we're pretty simple people, and so I like how God uses metaphors and analogies and comparisons in the Bible because that really helps me to understand what he's trying to say, and so he Consistently in the word, God uses the relationship of sheep to the shepherd as a way to explain discipleship. And so in the same way we can compare having a shepherd, we can compare that to having you know, discipleship in our lives today. So what does it mean to have a good shepherd or to be one of his disciples? What are the benefits to that? If you have a shepherd or you're discipled or you're under God's care that's 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 right just like a good shepherd who takes care of the sheep right they own that sheep but that sheep because of that ownership has protection from wild animals that sheep has is led to good pasture so that's that's an ongoing a long-term need that sheep has fellowship or companionship with other sheep in the fold. So there's community. That sheep has direction. If sheep left to themselves, they'll do pretty dumb things. They'll get caught up in the, in the, the brambles. They'll wander off. They'll get lost. But the, so the shepherd will seek out even one lost sheep, and we remember that from the parable, right? If there's one sheep, God's heart is so passionate about being your shepherd that he will seek out that sheep no matter what. He'll come after us and find us. And so compare that to what it means to not have a shepherd. And that's what these, the people in this situation, that's, that's what they're um, experiencing, right? They're lost. They're alone. They're beat up. They're weary and scattered. They're harassed by the world. Think of the troubles of life without God. That it, leaves, it leaves people open to a lot of torment, to a lot of struggle. And so this comparison, right? The world, what does the world have to offer us? What's, what, are, what is the wages or the 
payment or the reward for serving this world, being in this world, turning your back from God. What, what are the wages? Right? Death. The wages of sin is death. If you serve the world, you don't have the good shepherd in your life, you're serving the world, the outcome is, is death. Now compare that to the wages of Christ. What does, what does Jesus promise? Right? Eternal life. He promises to take care of us, protection. Okay? But there is a responsibility, right? As a sheep, we have to listen, obey, follow. And I really like Matthew eleven twenty eight. So if you just flip ahead two chapters. In chapter 11, verse 28. We kind of look and we see the heart of the shepherd. Jesus, our good shepherd. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, you've heard this, and people maybe give you a hard time about serving Christ. And they say, Oh, you're a Christian. You're one of those church people. You can't enjoy, you don't have the freedom to do all the things that I, that I can do, right? You've, you've heard that, and people, you might have gotten that. I, I got that a lot, especially in high school, not so much anymore. But you can feel that sometimes as a Christian. You, know, you, you, you have all these responsibilities, but people in the world, they have, no, they have no responsibility to God, and they kind of do whatever they want. But let me tell you, serving Christ is so much better because he gives us the grace to do what he's asking us to do, and he protects us. I I mean, can you imagine all the things that, that he protects us from on a, on a daily basis, things we can't even see in the spiritual realm, perhaps, that he's taking care of us, looking out for us. His yoke is easy, his burn is light. Not that he doesn't call us to do things, but he gives, I know for me, the grace to accomplish his will. So his, his yoke, he's with us. He's walking with us and supporting us through this process. I'd much rather have a good shepherd than be left to my own devices in the world experiencing the wages of this world, which is sin and death. So it's pretty interesting. Jesus didn't just want to give handouts. Like I said, he did heal. He did care about people, but he wasn't just about handouts. His heart was moved more so because he knows that submitting to God, to that spiritual authority, submitting to the good shepherd, and becoming part of his flock is what will uh, cause lasting change. And that's what he was about. He was about creating disciples. So his goal was discipleship, not just fixing the problem, or the symptom, I should say, but solving the sin problem, the problem of independence and self-sufficiency. And you can look around, right? Our culture is filled with this kind of self-sufficiency, the self-made person, right? Look where it's gotten us. People are weary and scattered. There's a lot of fear. They're scared. People are looking for a savior, really, and they might not even know it. So the harvest is truly plentiful. These people are, you know, they might sound very convinced in their minds that they have it all together, but when you dig a little deeper, uh, you, it's, you, quick, it's, you can easily see that that they really are weary and scattered. 
And discipleship is the solution. So I think when we reflect on Jesus, his compassion for us, and what he's done in our lives, how he's been our good shepherd, I think this can really motivate us and be a good source of, uh, you know, pushing us out of our comfort zone. When you reflect on what it means to have someone like Jesus who cares for your soul, he's watching out for you, protecting you, preparing your future, interceding for you, rooting for you, someone fighting for you in your corner. When you see that and experience that, it can really motivate us to think about the lost world. So, you know, I see Jesus here with the disciples. You know, he's caring for them, but he's also trying to point them, you know, point out, you know, these, these people in the world who are weary and scattered, and perhaps he wants to use, as we learned last week, right, God doesn't need, need us, but he does want to use us as part of his plan of salvation in people's lives. He wants to use us to reach out to others. So this reflection can be motivating. And when we look, the harvest is truly plentiful. When we look all around, we see that. So I think what I'm going to do is, so next week, you're also stuck with me again. <laughs> so I'd like, to, I'd like to stop here, and what I would like to do is next week go into a little bit more of what, what does this mean for us? What's the application? How can this motivate us to move? And what are some of those steps we can take to, in simple ways, to begin thinking about the multitudes and I was telling someone today, it was a fu- funny story. Um, sometimes it doesn't have to be a big thing. So I, like I said, my kids go to the YMCA, so we're there. And I, they have a family room, so adults can go in with their kids. And you get the tag, and they put it on your back. And, and then some kids go in to the family area because their parents are working out. So I'm in there, and Varric and I are standing, and we're looking at this you know, this video screen, these motion, it's like a motion-sensing video game, so we're, like, doing this thing, and, and so this little kid, he's maybe four, he comes up to me, he, excuse me, excuse me, can I say something? I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, why are you so little? Like, he's like, are you a kid, or are you, are you an adult? And I was like, well, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, and, you know, and I just... You know, I think maybe because of preparing for this message, you know, you try to think, how can you turn the conversation into something meaningful? Um, you know, I push the kid, I'm a man, what's to you? You know, no, I don't think that's the right way. Um, but, you know, turning the situation into an opportunity, you know, how can I use a situation as an opportunity? So I, I just said, yeah, you know, I'm a man and I'm, God made people of all kinds. He made tall, small, skinny, big, large, you know, uh, whatever. So I, so I said this to the, the little boy, and what was interesting is he, he turns around and he says, oh, yeah, I have Jesus in my heart. And I was like, oh, that's really great. You know, so do I. And that's, you know, so we had this little mini conversation. Now, I didn't, you know, that was kind of, that's just what it was, but it was an interesting 
experience because sometimes all it takes is just opening your mouth and you know, being bold and um, just taking that opportunity. And then this other kid, I've seen him in there before because um, you know, parents go to classes and things, so you see some of the same kids. And he says, who's Jesus? So that was interesting. So the harvest is truly plentiful. There are people out there, who, you know, this kid and everyone heard who Jesus is. And so that was interesting to me. So the other kid actually started talking to him, so it was kind of a neat experience. So I'd like to talk a little bit about what are some practical ways that we can share our faith and, and be involved in the harvest um, next week. And I, for, I forgot, I do want to pray for uh, Rose and Ellis, um, the missionary, I forgot about that. But So let's, we're going to pray. Sure. Okay, what is that showing this week? Or, we're or, producing it now. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you today for you, Jesus, and your heart for people like us who at times find ourselves weary and scattered. And we just recognize we have a need, Lord. We need you to be our good shepherd, to guide us, to protect us, to watch over us. Lord, even when things get difficult, we can trust you. And I thank you, Lord, that you rescued me and that you rescued many of us here in this place. You rescued us from this world, from the wages of sin, which is death. And you have a purpose and a calling in our, in our lives. And part of that is uh, extending your compassion to others. And so, Lord, as we talk about this and meditate on your word and on the kind of character that you had, how you identified with humanity, help us, Lord, to identify with those around us. Lord, I pray even this week you would uh, make us aware of the need around us, help us to be sensitive to what people are going through, Lord, that we would not just think about what we need, but be concerned about uh, what other people are going through and that you might use us to pray for them, to speak to them, to share your word with them, to maybe even invite them into our homes uh, to share a meal, something as simple as that, Lord. So we just pray you to open our hearts to the need around us. Give us compassion, Lord. That is not something we can stir up. Uh, we need your Holy Spirit in our hearts to, to do that work. And we do. I do pray for the, the homeschool show and the opportunity uh, coming up, Lord. I just thank you for uh, Jess and Mike, and pray that you would use their giftings and the, the things they're doing and organizing to bless others. And Lord, there is, I know our kids are homeschooled, and what an opportunity. And so we just pray for your hand uh, in that situation. Give wisdom and grace and the strength to do that project. Uh, we also pray for Rose and Alice, uh, missionary in Mexico. Just pray you'd help her to be faithful, to continue to serve you there, to not lose heart in doing good. And uh, we also want to pray for this, this building, this place. Uh, thank you for the gifts and offerings. We thank you for the children that you put in our care. Help us to continue to be faithful in that ministry. And so, Lord, go before us. Protect everybody this week. And as we're shoveling snow and out, making contact with our neighbors, 
and just seeing people, I pray that you would even use that as an opportunity uh, to speak to others about your love for them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Thank you, guys.